0: I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. So we are combining three of the things we love, podcast and then story and breakfast. And specifically, we're looking at the biggest story. We tend to read the Bible like it's something boring, um, a little more mechanical. When in truth, it's full of all kinds of complicated characters and plenty of room for the
1: imaginative. Uh, We're hoping that this could open up the way we read these stories. So we would see the people in them as real people And that that might help us connect to maybe God is real too, if the characters are real. We're going to look at a bunch of different stories in scripture and just ask the question, what did they eat for breakfast and what did they want to eat for breakfast? And we're also just going to talk about what life felt like for them in the hope that maybe we'll see ourselves in the story and we'll see a real God moving through real people. We're calling this The Breakfast Translation.
0: Diving into episode three, we are getting into episode three. This is
1: when we're gonna actually start doing it, right? So, we're doing this podcast, and the big idea of it is food and the Bible, Mm -hmm. specifically breakfast and the Bible. Yes, and we're wondering what it was like for these folks, especially in the morning, because I think there is something about the way that your day starts that says something about who you are. And the world that you hope is in front of you on that day. So the hope, as we look specifically, we're looking at the book of Acts, where a lot of times food is like explicitly mentioned, and there are a lot of times where the story moves forward through food.
0: Great, right. way more food than I than I thought there was going to be.
1: Right. So for Keaton, this is your first time really reading through Acts, right? Yes,
0: yeah, first time, and I'm reading it. I'm reading the chapter the day before we go on to talk talk about it. So yeah. I am
1: very fresh to the content. So I read it for a very long time and I have always thought that it needed to be read more often, that it's a really crucial story, that there are a lot of things it has to teach us uh, about what we should be doing over breakfast and with our days uh, even now. So if people are reading along with us, today we're going to be in Acts 2. And last episode where we talked about Acts chapter 1, we actually had to kind of just imagine the food that was a part of the story because food isn't totally mentioned in the business meeting that happens in Acts 1. But in Acts 2, it's all about food. There's food all over uh, Acts chapter 2. Starting with just the setting, right? Yeah, like, they had something called the, the Pentecost. Right, the Pentecost, which we actually, some churches still celebrate that today, but we celebrate it for a wholly different reason. Uh, but Pentecost's original purpose was basically a food festival, that it was a moment where they would get together because this is, remember, we always have to do that in a world where, right? Mm-hmm. The movie movie voice guy. So this is a world of agriculture where the first fruits of the harvest were so important and such a moment of, of gratitude and thankfulness to them that they had a good enough season that they had just the right amount of sun and rain, uh, that something grew. And I always kind of love that about thinking about an agricultural world, that there was a certain dependence on elements outside of themselves that they had to think about. And they had to be, they would have been grateful, right? Right. Because there's something outside of yourself when you try to grow something. Right. And so they saw it as a time to be grateful. And especially the first fruits a lot of times would have been grain and wheat and all the stuff that they would have to make. That complicated barley bread that we talked about last time that was often their breakfast. So this is them celebrating that once again, uh, God through the earth has provided for them. Uh, But I think it's also worth just like pausing and saying that a lot of festivals that we go to even today, food is a big piece of. Oh, that's why you go. Music and food. Yeah. What's your favorite like festival food?
0: Funnel cake, for sure. I didn't have it for the first time until I was in college. I couldn't believe it existed. Such <laughs> deep fried, sugary goodness.
1: Yes. Too, I,
0: too good to be true.
1: I th- I used to think of it as uh, the thing we get at Cedar Point, because we would go to Cedar Point every year for a big fun thing. And so getting funnel cake at Cedar Point was a big deal to me. Kind of like the blue ice cream at Kings Island. Yeah, we're recording cool. in Dayton, so that's a big piece of the the Christmas at Springboro Festival—it's yes. just food, right? Well, I guess there's some other things that happen. Yeah, I think you can ride a camel there. Yeah, <laughs> but the food is a big piece of it. I would say my favorites—I like the like the bourbon chicken.
0: Yes, is an option. That's a Several, Christmas in Springboro
1: staple. Yeah, I, but it shows up at lots of different places. Uh, and then I also like a good bag of kettle corn. Mm-hmm. It's a festival festival staple I, I know. Think. I feel
0: like the bags at festivals just grow larger and larger every year t- till they're taller yeah than
1: you. yeah I only eat like a handful of the giant bag of kettle corn but it's worth every every kernel It tastes better when it comes in a giant bag yeah so this is that kind of moment so not only are they celebrating and eating food but it's also like a lot of festivals including our local Christmas at spring grow it's a homecoming of sorts yeah so this is in Jerusalem and a lot of people who maybe grew up in Jerusalem or had family there or had some kind of roots there, but they've maybe moved out, right? You went away to school, but did you make a point to ever come home for a festival type things or was that a big moment
0: Yes, Christmas in Springboro was always a,
1: an awesome time to see people who also went away to school. and Yeah, it's a little like that. It's like that, or I grew up in Columbus, so the Ohio State Fair is like that for a lot of people. It's like a gathering place and I remember going with my friends and there were certain like things that you did together every year when you went to, like you go down the big yellow slide and that was the thing that you had to do. No matter where (laughs) you lived, you came home for the Ohio state fair Mm -hmm. and you went down the big yellow slide and you ate disgusting giant fatty food. And I think that that is a piece of this, right? Is that it's a homecoming of sorts, that a lot of the people who had this connection to Jerusalem, they see this festival has a time to kind of come home, but because they've moved away, They've learned new languages. Okay. So one of the complications of Acts 2 is that you had people who maybe they hadn't lived there for a long time. Or like maybe they just were there for their first few years, but then they moved out to Europe or Asia or Africa. Right. And so they've learned a new language, but they come home and they can't talk to each other. Okay. So they're in this moment in the, at, the, at the festival, and then all of a sudden this very wild thing happens. Where Luke, who writes this book, he tells us that there are tongues, basically tongues of fire, that show up at a festival.
0: I, I remember reading this part. This is where I start to kind of speed read because yeah, I don't really like, know what to do with it, so I just outside of my take it as it is. Exactly. Yeah. Have you ever
1: been to a festival where flaming tongues fell from the sky? I mean, I did go to Bonnaroo, so <laughs> <laughs> it like it's a something akin. But <laughs> yeah, there's probably some people in that Bonnaroo crowd who saw flaming tongues of fire right. falling from the sky. Yeah, so this is this extraordinary moment, and one of the things about festivals, right, is that it's not just an individual experience, it's a communal experience, and everybody has this moment where there are tongues everywhere, and as wild as that is, it actually serves a really practical purpose.
0: Uh Uh-huh, yeah, I'm starting to sort of connect the dots now that we've talked about this homecoming that's going on. Yeah, because
1: all of a sudden, these people who speak all this language start to hear the other people talking in their their native tongue so they don't have to even translate it's just some crazy like it tells us that it's the spirit this is the spirit of God working uh, that when the spirit of God shows up people who don't understand each other suddenly understand each other right
0: right yeah that's that's beautiful there's no opportunity to use subtitles on (laughs) this this type of setting so
1: yeah and I love it too because um you know, we don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but this idea of speaking in tongues is a, a big kind of question mark in the world of the church. And, you know, it's one of those things that people have different experiences with or whatever. And But in a lot of people's stories, speaking in tongues is used as a way to divide people. Mm. Like some people are able to do it and some can't. Or, you know, some people expect for God to translate for them if they go to a, a foreign Nation, they want all of us. They test God to see if they can understand. And what I love about this is that when the Spirit shows up and works, it doesn't divide people. Like it's not a competition in any way. It's not like some people got more of it than others, which is the way it sometimes has been used in the history of the church as like this competition. Haves and mm-hmm. yeah, the haves and have-nots. But here, it's it's actually a way to bring them together. Like that's the whole point. Um, and it's so bizarre. That there's this note <laughs> that the, the people who are watching this happen, who are watching these people, like, suddenly understand each other, um, they think they're all drunk.
0: Yeah. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. <laughs>
1: yeah. It says that they got the new wine, right? Because in this, like, wine culture, mm-hmm. you would have, like, there would be sometimes where you'd have, some like, a bottle of wine that has been sitting around for a few days, it loses its power, Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's especially important because they're like, oh, they must they got, got, the got the top shelf. Yeah, they got the top shelf stuff. If you ever go to Kroger's, it's like, this is like the $24 bottle right? instead of the $9.99 so, yeah. bottle. So they're saying they, they're filled with new wine. But I love, like, Simon Peter, he's this one of Jesus's, you know, he's on his top 12 list, right? So Simon Peter says, well, that's impossible because it's 9 o'clock in the morning.
0: Right. <laughs> so,
1: I don't know that Simon Peter's been at. I don't think he's ever gone to
0: Bonnaroo. No, no. I don't think he's dipping his barley in, in wine either. <laughs> yeah, I don't think like so. we learned about last
1: episode. Yeah. So he he thinks that's just ridiculous. So again, you know, he has kind of a limited cultural experience there because maybe some of us have some stories where we've seen people either drinking in the morning or drank enough the night before that they could still be seeing flaming tongues of fire the next Five day. Nine. <laughs> yeah. But. This is Simon Peter. He says, it's it's not, it, this is not the wine. Um, I do kind of, I love the story though, because he goes on to say, this is God working. And I do think it's at least worth pausing and saying, what is it about, why is it that when the spirit of God works, it looks like top shelf wine taking effect, a. right? There's something to... You know, I've talked for a long time to my friends about like your second drink self or your third drink self where you've kind of lost your inhibitions. And mm-hmm. you, it's certainly not always a healthy thing. Right. But there's some part of that where you have lost some of your fear or you you become more like some truer picture of yourself sometimes. Unfiltered. Yeah, there's, there's something that's not wholly bad there that can happen. Um, there's something, or there's something we're supposed to learn about letting the spirit of God take over, and letting and being open to the spirit of God moving in you that might look a little bit like losing control, uh, and I think that's kind of a beautiful picture here. And so Simon Peter goes on; he goes from this this really fun festival filled with food to a big long speech.
0: Yes. Which is
1: what everybody longs for. Big
0: long speeches at the Pentecost, <laughs> at Bonnaroo. Yes. Yeah.
1: In, in the middle of this festival. And he doesn't even doesn't even tell us that there's a band playing behind him or anything. There's no guitar solos. There's right, no... just him speaking. Yeah, it's just him talking for a long, long, long time. I'm sure the flaming tongues got attention, though. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Maybe there was just one, like, one little tongue <laughs> right above his head that kept everybody, like, looking at him and paying attention to him. And... But the thing is, we're going to see a lot of these like long speeches in the book of Acts. We're even going to see one time where a guy falls asleep during one of the speeches because it's so interesting. <laughs> um, but I actually, as much as I kind of want to make fun of this and think that Simon Peter might be ruin, ruining the festival, the thing he says is one of my very favorite things that anybody says in any of the pages of the Bible. Yeah. Because he uses this prophecy from Joel where he says that in the last days, it'll be that God is going to pour out God's spirit on the young and the old, the sons and the daughters, um, the servants, uh, the, that everybody, regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of their socioeconomic status, um, regardless of you could imply in there, their race that sometimes determined whether somebody was a servant or not. Um, and we're going to see this throughout the book of Acts, how important uh, this breaking of racial barriers is. He gives this picture that the Spirit of God does not recognize the barriers that humans recognize. And starting with this barrier of language. And at the festival, it's mostly Jewish people. So they don't have to worry about those boundaries that that come into the rest of the story. But language is certainly a barrier for us. And I love this picture. Um, And we're going to see this throughout the book of Acts, that those barriers are going to just keep on falling down, especially when you tell the story of Jesus, Mm -hmm. that there's something about the story of Jesus because that's what these speeches are going to be. And Simon Peter is getting up here to this crowd that says, You know prophets. You've probably, your grandma and your grandma's grandma and your grandpa and your grandpa's grandpa, they have told you all the things that were in the book of Isaiah and all the things that were in Joel and all the things that were in all these prophetic books. And he says Jesus was the fulfillment of all these things that people had been waiting for. And he wants to tell them the story of how Jesus lived, how he died, and then how he lived again. And so these references... Uh, that we might not get when we first read them, all these Old Testament prophecies, like they would have gotten them. Okay. So it reminds me a little bit of like sometimes I listen to like somebody when they talk about like the Marvel Universe. Right. Yes. I don't understand anything. That they Nor should. do I. <laughs> and so I don't get any of those references, but like somebody listens to that and understands every word of it. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot it's a lot like that, right I need a tongue of fire to fall on my head so I can understand WandaVision division and the conversation around it. And so it's a little bit um, like that. Does that make sense? sure does. Yeah. Um, then we get into so after Simon Peter's big speech, uh, the book of Acts in chapter 2 jumps into like a picture of daily life. And one of the things that they get into is the, the way that food plays a crucial role in the foundation of the, the church. It tells us in Acts 2, day by day, they spent time together in the temple, but they also broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And so you get this picture that sure, they still went and did like religious things. They still went to the temple. They still listened to experts. They still would open up the scroll and see what the old guys said, but they were also experiencing this brand new thing, which was that God was in their house with them when they broke bread together. Um, and so it has me in mind. Like a lot of times we, um, did you grow up praying before your meal? Um, off and on. When I yeah. definitely when I was at grandma's house. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a little bit of like a traditional thing. Right. And I always have. I've been, always been like skeptical about it because my experience of that is always that it's kind of mechanical. Right. Sometimes that people say things during that moment that they would never say in regular life.
0: Say it a little bit faster than they yeah. would in regular life because their stomachs They're are hungry. growling. And
1: there's all these like rules about it that if you if you take a bite before you pray you're gonna choke or something. It's like it's more mechanical than I ever want anything about God to be. Uh, it's also like they say things like "bless this food to the nourishment of our body." Yes, just not a way you would. Not a way anybody
0: talks. I, I don't usually. I usually just say hmm.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: If you. Did... I think
1: that carries the same weight. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's a translation. Right. right. God understands what you're saying there, um, but I do kind of love this idea of like. When you sit down to a meal, whether it's that you say that mechanical prayer, you recognize... What I do appreciate is, like, recognizing all the things that had to happen for your table to be filled. Right. Right? To so think Absolutely. about, like, all the things that had to happen for you to get a loaf of bread on your table. So maybe there's something to, like, being... The, the, the way you eat with a glad and generous heart is to, like, pay attention to the fact that you could have a fresh banana in Ohio in yes. February. like some huge system that happened there are migrant farmers working all over the world that we hardly ever pay attention to right um, that have done the hard work of getting this food to us. There are farmers who worked past daylight savings time or whatever to, to get the food to us and maybe just even recognizing like that we get to go to a store right to, to like, collect the fruits of other people's um, yes, labors.
0: Yeah. yeah we don't have the Pentecost festival. In the same way, yeah, for sure. Where we we just say thank you,
1: farmers. Yeah, we are just like, can I get that funnel cake? Yes, right? and we're even com- like prone to complain, right? If it doesn't go exactly the way we want, or if the line is too long. Yes, but something about like sitting down to a full table, like made them see who God was, and so I wondered, um, I have a story in my head, but I wondered if you had a story of like a time when eating together or like some kind of meal or some kind of moment where food taught you something? Do you have any moments like I'd that? Say
0: this, this takes the the message taught a little bit literally but I had this one professor I had I had him for several classes and it was a, a very difficult class every time just really hard grading but um, one of my favorites always because of because of the challenge and because of the reward that came from that challenge but at the end of every semester right before we took the final, he would come in and we would all make crepes together as a class and then eat them as a class and review for the final, but also like celebrate what that class was. So I thought that was always a neat moment and it's something that he routinely did for every every class and always felt like a nice time of solidifying what we had learned and just sort of being together as a class and celebrating that.
1: Yeah, we talked about that a little bit, food as a cele- a celebration that it marks something that reminds me of when I was in chemistry class, we used to make uh, peanut brittle. It was like a, a thing huh. that you got to make at the end of, like, accompli- has a way of, like, you accomplish chemistry, so you got to okay. make peanut brittle. And the year that my class did it, uh, my friend Nick Juan set his sweater on fire. <laughs> oh, that's during awesome. The, during the making of the peanut brittle. Yes. So it kind of ruined, like, the celebratory right. thing. Because he had to, Was he okay? <laughs> he was okay, but he did have to stop, drop, and roll real quick. Okay. Um, I, I thought of... Uh, One time, I did an internship for a church in Chicago, and the church was a little bit like this moment at Pentecost because it was was a very diverse church. It was on the south side of Chicago, so you had several different populations in that neighborhood that, that in this beautiful way, came to church together. And because I was an intern, they decided that they were going to—somebody from the church, some family or some person from the church was going to take me out every Sunday for lunch— And they oftentimes wanted to, like, take me to, like, a restaurant that was connected to their heritage or to their palate, like, their favorite thing to eat. And, of course, Chicago's loaded with all these, like, diverse, beautiful, like, local, ethnic restaurants. Uh, But I uh, am a super picky eater. So Mm. these moments Uh that, like, (laughs) even though in theory I was always, like, so appreciative.
0: Right. I, like how cool that they're feeding me food that's so significant. Yes, I
1: understood that, but also I wanted to like gag on a lot of the food because it was things that were brand new to my like peanut butter sandwich palette. <laughs> palette yeah, <laughs> I always say like I eat like what think about like what a five year old eats and then take away some of the more complex pieces of their diet, and that's what I not brand new seasonings. No, and yeah, intense. And I'm not accustomed to that many flavors right. or textures, especially. So there were a couple times where I would. I would just, like, get what they told me I should get, and a lot of times I I don't know enough about food, so I wouldn't even know what it was, and I would have to, like, pray (laughs) that I could get the texture. So I was praying, like, for survival, because I was so afraid. There were times where I would eat a texture, and my gag reflex would kick in, and I'd have to pray that I wouldn't throw up on the table. And? And I never threw up, uh, but I did choke a few times (laughs) I came close but partway through my my time there I was there for about six months and partway through my time there I finally confessed to somebody like I'm I'm actually a really picky eater and it's so nice that people take me to all these places but I I really just love to go get I actually said I want to go get breakfast somewhere like oh, brunch yeah? Yeah. yeah so it's very on topic right and so for the second half of my time there all these everybody who took me out took me to Denny's <laughs> <laughs> cuz it was like the easiest thing and they were like you know there's pictures on the menu so I could just point to the thing I wanted this and, this peanut butter sandwich yeah <laughs> so I think it was really a crying shame uh, yeah. because I I just could not open myself up to it sounds like you
0: absolutely tried I did try and how how cool that they were accommodating all those families
1: well that's what I thought is so often food is a way we get to know each other and it is a way that we not just expand our palate but expand our imagination and what a gift it is how often we want to like make people happy with our like whether we pick a good restaurant for dinner or whether we cook oh my goodness the people are so beautiful when people are good at like filling a table and how important it is to people like they want people to love what they put on the table Um, and so we're going to get to see that uh, through the rest of acts like how often food is a way that God opens up the world of the church to brand new cultures and to brand new uh, possibilities and I had my chance to participate in that, but what happened instead is we went to Denny's. But it was still self-serving, right? And your teacher like went that extra mile. Right? Cuz he could have yes. phoned it in. He could like could just watch a movie on yeah. the last day, but he decided we need food, right? Right. And that when we do that, that that does open up glad and and generous hearts, right? So every time we we've kind of been able to find something by looking at the food that like gives us something to do i think the one here is just my thought is it just reminds us to be thankful and yeah to be grateful right do you see the same thing i Get do just I that
0: i just that balance between we go to the temple and we break
1: bread together it's a both and yeah and both those things are holy yes both those things teach us and grow us and and bind us together and i, th- I think that's the take too is that um In it's not just the, like, flaming tongues. It's also the food that expands their understanding of what it means to be people. And people together. Yeah, and it translates them to each other and helps them to understand each other. So hopefully maybe as we um, sit down to different tables this week, we'll just maybe take a moment to, like, appreciate every table that we get to be a part of and all the things that brought us there and all the things that fill it up with goodness. So if you're reading along with us, uh, next week we are going to, get into chapter three of Acts and we're going to figure out what kind of breakfast uh, would you eat uh, if you were going to be healed that day, or if you were going to heal somebody else. And we're going to look at uh, what it means to have something happen in a timely way. Uh, Every episode features music uh, from Chris Reffitt, my sister who died at 34, who used to challenge my palate by I would make microwave popcorn. And then she would hijack the bag of microwave popcorn and put crazy spice all over it <laughs> so that I wouldn't eat it. So as much as I love her and miss her, she also, I also blame her for some of my food issues, mm-hmm. to be honest. But she made good music, so we'll enjoy it on our way out. Thanks for listening. See yeah. you next time.